Hey, tonight we are continuing a series that we've been in uh, for the last few weeks. Uh, we are doing Christmas at the Movies, part two, take two. And Jesus talked in parables, which means he spoke in stories. And so we're like, man, if we can, whatever we can use uh, that can just tell, can tell the story of Jesus a little bit more, we want to do that. Plus, we think it's fun and it's good for the kids as well. And so we have our uh, revived kids in with us. Uh, but for tonight, to just kind of kick it off, uh, we have a clip from our movie of the evening, so take a look. He knows when you're awake. He knows if you've been bad or good. If it's good, you must say, Oh, you better watch out. Better not cry. Better not pout. I'm telling you why. Santa Claus is coming to town. What was that you said? I believe. I believe. I, I believe. This is yours. Wow. believes before he sees him. Hey, for the first time uh, that I ever really heard about Polar Express uh, was we were on staff at a church in Southern California, and uh, I was approached by one of the other pastors. He said, hey, we're going to do something a little different. We're going to do something unique. We're going to do experiencing Narnia. And so when we did, uh, we would watch the movie, and you would experience it as uh, it was going on. So we walk, you know, everybody would walk through the wardrobe to get into the room. When it snowed in the movie, it would snow in the worship center. It would snow on us and all these things. And then the next year, they said, hey, we're going to do Experiencing Polar Express. And I was like, what's that? 
don't worry about that. Here's what we need. And they said, we need you, uh, because they had tried my hot chocolate, and for some reason they thought it was really good. Um, They said, we need you to bust out about 800 hot chocolates in 60 seconds in their hands to 800 people. And I was like, what? (laughs) I was like, that's insane, right? Um, And they said, well, we need you to do it twice in one night. So 1,600 hot chocolates, uh, but you have to get it in their hands in about 60 seconds. And with an amazing team of people, uh, we were actually able to pull it off. And we were heating hot water all day, and we had containers, all that. But it was really cool. But it wasn't until uh, we had kids, like so many other animated Christmas movies. It wasn't until we had children that I actually watched the whole thing. And, uh, and then I saw the train ride where basically it was hot, 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 hot chocolate. When we actually, I was like, hey, that's when we, that's when we did that. And I was like, that's really cool. And then I was even more amazed that we were able to, to pull that off. But the more you watch, uh, when I watch Polar Express, I was like, I have several different things that come to mind. It's really good, and it's really weird, all right? There are just weird moments through it. There are exciting moments. There are creepy moments. There are moments where it's a little thought-provoking. But there's also a lot of spiritual parallels in the movie. And if you pay attention, you're going to pick up on some of those Things. In fact, when Robert Zemeckis, who directed the movie, was asked about all the biblical parallels in the movie, they said, hey, was that intentional? And this is what he said. He winked and he said, nothing in a movie this big ends up in the script by accident. There is purpose behind that. And so the movie is based on a young boy who's doing some thinking. He's doing some thinking, he's doing some reading, and he's looking at what the world would say is possible, and then looking at something else and saying, man, I don't know if he was struggling believing in the things outside of those possibilities. And so he goes to bed on Christmas Eve, and he's trying to stay awake, trying to see if things are going to happen the way he thinks that they're going to happen, or the way that maybe he's been brought up to believe. And so he's fighting it, trying to stay awake. And he finally falls asleep, but in the middle of his sleep, you guys know this, and maybe this is possible, a huge giant train pulls right up in front of their house on the road. That is the Polar Express. And so he goes outside, and there's the conductor, uh, which is narrated by Tom Hanks. In fact, I think almost every character is narrated by Tom Hanks. But uh, he basically says, hey, if you want to get on, get on. And he's like, we're going to the North Pole. And so at some point in time, he gets on the train, and now they're on their journey. They're on their journey, the, the magic train, the Polar Express, and the adventure is there for them. And it centers around him, basically in this place of his life where he has to decide and find out whether he believes or not. And almost seem as a, almost like a parable in the fact that We would be like the kids on the train, and Santa would be like Jesus. Do we believe? Do we believe? And that's what we have to ask ourselves when it comes to Jesus Christ. Do I believe? Do I believe that there is a God? Do I believe that he is a creator? Do I believe that he is good? Do I believe that he really cares about me? Do you really believe that he cares about you? 
Because a lot of times, sometimes it feels like he, he's distant. Or maybe we go through difficult patches in life, and it feels like there's not a lot of care there. And so, all these things in life, and it's not only God and his son Jesus Christ that we struggle believing. In fact, uh, when I was young, and this is a lot of people, we have this dream of getting married. I'm going to get married someday, and it's going to be awesome because I'm going to marry the most beautiful person on the planet, and it is going to be incredible. And so I had that dream, and then you get into your young 20s, and the dream is still alive, right? The dream is still there. And some of my friends that were in the same age category, they started living that dream out. They got married, started having children. I got into my late 20s, and I'm still holding on to the dream. But you, you kind of turn this corner around 30, and you're like, I wonder if my dream is actually going to come true. I wonder if that is in the cards for my life. And maybe if you got married later in life, maybe that started to register with you. It's like, man, is this really going to happen? No, it's easy for me now to look back upon it because I am married to an absolutely incredible person. I love her to death. I love my kids. But we start to understand where doubt starts to come from. When things don't line up the way that you think that they should. On a much lighter note, many of you guys know I'm an avid sports fan. I've never been accused of being a bandwagon fan because most of my teams don't do very well. In fact, for the first 25, 30 years of my life, most all my teams stunk, except for the Avalanche. From the moment I watched hockey from them in 96, they were winners, and that was great. But my other teams, like the Colts, the first 25 years of my life, 30 years of my life, they were horrible. And of course, I'm a Cubs fan, and anybody who was a Cubs fan, Cubs fan before 2016, you cannot accuse them of being a Fairweather fan. But you start to doubt. You start to think, man, maybe it's not going to happen. Maybe there's never going to be a World Series win. And doubt starts to creep in with a lot of things in life, relationships, jobs, the government, society in general, even the church. People will struggle sometimes. And we'll doubt. And so I think for a lot of folks, when it comes to the relationship with Christ and God, uh, it kicks in maybe in their teen years. In teen years, when you're really starting to cognitively start putting things together and you start to look, okay, well, are these things even possible? Because when you become a teenager, you automatically know everything, Right? It's like, I know everything, and you got that. But skepticism kind of kicks in. And I have a theory why. And I think it, one of the reasons is just we have so much of a, a spiritual malnutrition when it comes to God's Word in a lot of our young people. In fact, Sarah and I have talked about this before. It wasn't here, but it was uh, before we came here. We were doing student ministry for so many years. We would have students who have been raised in the church and have been raised in Christian homes but even when you would ask them, hey, turn your Bible to this, turn your Bible to this book, and some of them would not know where that book was. And I'm like, man, we have a spiritual malnutrition problem with God's Word. And we had this kind of saying in student ministry. It was like, man, they need to own it. They need to be able to own it because I know when they graduate from high school, they're going to go into a world on their own or they're going to go to college, when they're going to be challenged in so many different ways. And I want them to understand, here's why you believe what you believe, because you cannot ride on mom and dad's coattails into heaven. 
And you can't, it's not just because uh, grandma and grandpa, they, you know, read scripture to you or because the preacher said it. You need to know why you believe it is true. And you need to be able to defend it. And so do you truly believe? And we all need to be able to ask ourselves that question and answer it because at some point in time, you will take your last breath on this earth (laughs) and you will stand before a God who will grant you your wish, your will. And if you live on earth with a I don't need God mentality, he will grant you that for eternity. But if you want God to be a part of your life and you pursue him, then he says, you know what, I'll grant you that for eternity. You can spend eternity with me. And that is what he truly wants. We believe in a lot of things when it comes to Christmas. We believe in Christmas Day, Christmas parties, Christmas lights, Christmas trees, Christmas gifts. Even I hate Christmas eggnog. Anybody else? I hate eggnog. This is what we should be drinking at Christmas time. This is it. But we believe in all of that, and it's fun, and it's good. But it's not the most important question. The most important question when it comes to Christmas is do we actually believe Christ in Christmas? Do we really believe him as a central point of Christmas? We all need to be able to answer that. It's the first six letters of the word. They are the most important. And there will become a time where you have to come to grips with what you really believe. And it's Jesus. So let's go to a passage that most of you know pretty well, John 3.16. For this is how God loves the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who, what's the word? Believes. Now the word believes is more than just acknowledging. It's more than just being aware because in scripture it said even the demons believe. It is saying basically I want him to be Lord and Savior of my life. And of course, we say this all the time. It's easy making him the Savior of your life. Not so easy making him the Lord of your life. But that's what he wants to be. The Lord of your life. Look at what Paul says in Romans chapter 10, verse 9. He says, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. How beautiful is that? And so let's go back to the movie for a bit. Because the train is filled with kids, and some of them believe, and some of them are struggling, but there's two characters that I really want to hone in on, because I think these two characters really resemble where a lot of people are at, and where their struggle will be. And so the first is our main character. You guys know his name? You're right, cheater. It is Hero Boy. They don't really give any of the characters names. It's just like hero boy, hero girl. And so they basically have hero boy in the credits. The one who from the very beginning is skeptical. And the reason that he is skeptical is because he has the mentality that if you can't see it, then it must not be true. He can't believe it if he can't see it, which is why so many people make Jesus into a myth or a fairy tale in life. It's especially pushed by atheists today. In fact, down in Dallas, there was a huge campaign where there was billboards going up. And this one says this. I think we have it. You know it's a myth. This season, celebrate reason. 
And so it's being pushed out there. And for the hero boy, his belief is being intellectually pushing out what he earlier believed because of what the world says. And he doesn't want to look foolish. None of us want to be duped into believing something that may not be true. And so he's just wrestling with this, and he needs to see it with his own eyes. But read and listen what the Bible says is required from each of us when it comes to having real, true faith in God. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. The writer of Hebrews says it this way, Faith shows the reality of what we hope for, and it is the evidence of things that we cannot see. And in the Polar Express, one of the many characters played by Tom Hanks, the conductor, at one point in time in the movie, looks at the little boy and he says, hey, sometimes the most real things in the world are the things that we can't see. And there's a lot of things that you believe in that you cannot see. A lot of things. We will believe in it, but we don't see it. But for some reason, we expect from God what we don't expect from other things. And you're like, what would that be? Well, I'm going to share you what those things might be. And the first one is this. I shared with you a couple weeks ago, we got new cell phones. And I love my cell phone, especially because my other one was horrible. Um, But I have no idea how this thing works. I have not an earthly clue how this works. I don't know how the internet works. I don't know how the waves of, you know, the signals work. But I do believe it. Why? Because every single time I hit send or I hit call or whatever, it happens. When I hit a button to go to the internet, it comes up. So even though I don't see those signals or those waves or whatever you want to call it, I believe that it's there. Even though I have no earthly clue how it all works. And so I show faith when I turn it on. You show faith every time you hit send. We show faith when we hit that little phone button and it makes a phone call. And again, most of us don't have any idea how it works, but we do believe it to be true. What about areas of history? So take George Washington, for example. I've never had a conversation with George Washington. Never sat down with him. Never talked it out. You know, hey, how was that? You know, going across the Delaware. What was it like? Never done that. Never, you know, seen him on TV. But I do believe that he was our first president. I do, even though I don't see him. But I believe he was elected in 1789. I wrote it down. Don't think that I know that information off the top of my head. So faith in things that we believe to be true, even when we actually can't see it. Martin Luther King Jr. says, faith is taking the first steps, even when you don't see the whole staircase. Again, the writer of Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, says it this way, and it is impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. See, so many people have all these questions that you want to have answered before you believe. Well, how did God do this? How did God do that? How did God get all the animals on the ark? I'd like to know those things too. I have a lot of questions. In fact, I probably have more questions than you do. Because the more I think you study 
And the more you dig in, I think the more questions you have. In fact, when I went to grad school, I left with way more questions than I had going in. I did. And so we have all these questions that we would love to have answered. And people don't come to belief because all their questions get answered. Most people come to faith because they see the effects of God. They allow the Holy Spirit to start working in their life. and They'll see things from other people, and they'll see prayers come to fruition. People will say, you know what? This can't just be circumstance. It couldn't just happen. And we start to believe. In fact, in the movie, at the end, this is how it closes out. The narrator says, At one time, most of my friends could hear the bell. But as years passed, it fell silent for all of them. Even Sarah, his sister, found one Christmas that she could no longer hear its sweet sound. Though I've grown old, the bell still rings for me, as it does for all who truly believe. I think sometimes the older we get, the more skeptical we get. The more we start to rationalize and try to figure things out. But it's important for us to come to a place of belief. The second character is Billy. Billy's the only one that actually has a name. That's kind of cool. Uh, this is Billy uh, up on the screen. He is the kid that uh, struggles because of pain and disappointment. Pain and disappointment. That has been his life. In fact, there's a line that he says throughout the movie. He says, you know what? It, 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 things just don't work out for me. Thing, things just don't work out for me. Christmas has not worked out for him. And he struggles with that. And when he gets on the train, he's just expecting things to not work out for him. And so many people live in a fairly constant state of difficult circumstances. And we live in this very broken and very sinful word and, uh, world. And we turn on the news or the news feed or you take a glance at your social media. And I would say just take a glance. Don't stare at your social media too long because it can put you in a world of depression. So just glance at it. Treat it like the Holy Grail or the Ark of the Covenant. You know, my face is going to melt if I look at it. So close your eyes. But a lot of times when we just look at those things, we are reminded of how difficult circumstances are for certain people and how painful life can be. And a lot of you guys know that pain really well. You know how difficult life can be. You will usually notice one of two responses. And this is what the responses that people will have. The first response, or one of the two responses, is that people will allow the pain and the difficult circumstances to push them away from God, push them away from church. Instead of leaning in towards God, they'll basically say, you know what, it's hard, it's difficult, and so I'm just going to move further away. They'll either move further away from God or they're going to draw closer to Him. And the further you move away from God, the more you will allow doubt and skepticism to grow inside of you. Your perspective and your perception will lean towards the negative. I truly believe that. Instead of tapping into the healing power of the Holy Spirit, you're going to try to battle these things on your own. 
and you were not created to handle these things on your own. You were created to link arms with the healing and amazing power of Jesus Christ. Through the Holy Spirit, you can do all things through him who gives you strength. But you cannot do it alone. For those that actually go the other way, and they draw closer to God through those circumstances, what a lot of times is that when we do it and we lean into God, it does not automatically mean that those difficulties and those pains are removed, that they're going to be gone. But it means you're going to be better equipped to handle them. Your perspective is going to be better. And the things that would happen in your life, those things that would otherwise be seen as monumental and catastrophic, are going to be stepping stones in your journey of faith. Pain doesn't draw you away from God unless you allow it to. And the most notable example of that in the Bible, I think outside of Jesus Christ, and maybe Job, but you read all the way through Job, and I think where I'm going to land is, is probably more accurate, is the life of the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul, man, when you read through the life and ministry after his conversion in Acts chapter 9, and you read all the things that he went through, you're like, holy cow. A lot of us in here would be like, man, I would have quit after this circumstance or after this circumstance, and yet he just keeps plowing the field. He keeps doing what God asked him to do, and it he is met with opposition and incredible difficult circumstances. But rather than letting it draw him away from the Lord, he considered it an honor to endure for the cause of Christ. During his ministry, Paul was, went through so many things. I'm going to just read a few. I'm going to read a lot of scripture here, but just kind of keep track in your head. Oh, man. So 2 Corinthians eleven twenty three through 27 says this. I've worked harder, been put in prison more often, so prison, been whipped times without number, and faced death again and again. Five different times, the Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashes. They were allowed to give 40. They would go to 39 because if they miscounted, they didn't want to get in trouble. Uh, three times, I was beaten with rods. Once, I was stoned, not Colorado stone, like throwing rocks stone. Three times I was shipwrecked. Once I spent a whole night and a day adrift at sea. I have traveled on many long journeys. I have faced danger from rivers and from robbers. I have faced dangers from my own people, the Jews, as well as from the Gentiles. I have faced dangers in the cities, in the deserts, and on the seas. And I have faced dangers from men who claim to be believers, but are not. No, I think that's interesting. People who claim to be believers, but are not. I have worked hard and long, enduring many sleepless nights. And I have been hungry and thirsty, and have often gone without food. I have shivered in the cold without enough clothing to keep me warm. So those are the things that Paul went through. Those were the moments that most everyone else in the world would say, you know what, things just don't work out for me, right? Probably if those things happen to you and me, that's the, you know what, things just don't seem to work out for me. 
Why? Because I tried to do what God asked me to do, and I had rocks thrown at me. I tried to do what God asked me to do, and they beat me with rods. I tried to do what God asked me to do, and they arrested me for it. I tried to do what God asked me to do, and while arrested, they put me on a ship, and then the ship wrecked. And then I got bit by a snake. Then I ended up in Rome, where they were against everything that I was trying to preach. Do you see where it's like, and here's, but here's Paul's response. I'm going to read a few verses. Colossians 1.24, he says, I am glad when I suffer for you in my body, for I am participating in the sufferings of Christ that continue for his body, the church. Philippians 1.29 says, for you have been given not only the privilege of trusting in Christ, but also the privilege of of suffering for him. Philippians 3.10 says, I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another, I will experience the resurrection from the dead. Wow. What an amazing attitude to have towards a lot of the things that the world would say, man, things just don't seem to work out for you. And I think it's because Paul knew a verse that would be written by James, and it's what he was doing. There's one promise in the book of James that I absolutely love, and I want you to write it down, circle it in your Bibles, because it is so helpful, especially in years like this, all right? In years like this, I think especially this is true, and it's James 4.8. Some of you guys already know this, but it's draw near to God. God will draw near to you. You lean into him, he's going to lean into you. Come close to God, he will come close to you in everything. In everything that you do, in everything that I do, I want to lean in to him. Draw near to him. Draw into his presence. Be the person that shows that to other people. One of the things that I hope that I do, one of the things that I hope that this church will do, is that they will see that from us. They'll see a church that is leaning in towards him. and He will lean back in towards us. And he's always there. He is. So there are so many people outside of these walls that might someday walk in, and I believe they need to experience God's presence through you. So the question is, will you welcome them? Will you have a conversation with them? Will you talk with them? Will you break bread with them? Will you help them find Jesus so that someday, maybe, maybe, just maybe, they might truly believe in him. And when they do, salvation has come to that house. That is a good thing. Eternity hangs in the balance. And my prayer for you, and that is my prayer for me, and the prayer for this church, is that's what we will do. That we will love everyone who comes in the door. And we will show them just a glimpse of what Jesus Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much.
for a movie that we can just kind of talk about, but also open up your scripture and just hone in on you and lean in on you. And I know that when we go through difficult circumstances or we start to overthink certain things, pain sets in, one of two things that we're going to do, we're probably going to either move further away from you or we're going to draw closer to you. I pray that we'll be a church that draws close to you, that we'll be individuals and families that draw close to you. And instead of looking at those circumstances as catastrophic, they'll simply be stepping stones on our journey of faith. So thank you so much for your word. Pray that it'll just continue to challenge us and move us closer to you. And this we ask in your name.